Welcome to Second Chances, the Persuasion Podcast. My name is Tom. And I'm Grace. And we're going through Jane Austen's Persuasion, chapter by chapter. And today we're doing Volume 1, Chapter 3. But first, Grace, will you give us a quick recap of the previous chapter? Mm-hmm. So in Chapter 2, it's very much the Miss, or sorry, the, the Lady Russell story. Basically, Mr. Uh, Shepherd and Lady Russell agree that in order for the Elliott family to survive and pay off their debts, they must retrench, which ultimately leads to the idea of letting Kelly and Hall. Um, and so what will happen is the family will move to Bath and they will let Kelly and Hall and Anne is unhappy because Anne never gets her way. And so she does not want to go to Bath and therefore to Bath they will go. Um, but ultimately, Lady Russell has two goals in mind. One, she wants to introduce Anne to society, and she thinks Anne will have a better shot at and talking and mingling amongst society and ultimately getting married um, in Bath. And number two, she wants the family to get away from a Mrs. Clay, Mr. Shepherd's daughter, who is, in Lady Russell's opinion, sort of punching above her weight by hanging out with the Elliots. Um, and that's chapter two. Not a worthy companion for no. Elizabeth. Mm-mm. Okay. If you, if, sorry if you guys hear uh, airplanes flying. We are once again in the crosshairs of airplanes flying overhead. Oh, like the previous podcast, just pretend that they're carriages exactly. going by. Mm-hmm. All right. In chapter three, I will try to be brief here. Mr. Shepard tries to convince Sir Walter that a naval officer would be a good tenant. And lo and behold, shortly afterwards, a uh, offer comes in from an Admiral Croft who wants to let Kelly and Hall on all of Sir Walter's terms. Uh, Mr. Shepard, when talking about Admiral Croft, says he used to have a connection in the neighborhood, a curate named Mr. Wentworth. And of course, Anne is the only person who remembers this name. And then the chapter ends with Anne seemingly dejected by something. Some mysterious he will soon be in the neighborhood, mm-hmm. and it has distressed Anne's spirits. Yes. So let's just let's get into it. It is a longer chapter, so yes. we will do our best to fit this into one episode here. <laughs> okay. Do you um, want to start reading for us? I'll start. So in chapter three. I must take leave to observe, Sir Walter, said Mr. Shepherd one morning at Kelly and Hall as he laid down the newspaper that the present juncture is much in our favor. This piece will, sorry, this piece will be turning all our rich naval officers ashore. Okay. All right. So we're sitting at Kelly and Hall in the drawing room, assumedly. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mr. Shepard has been reading the newspaper. All of a sudden is struck with an, a bit of inspiration. Who <laughs> yeah. knows? Maybe he saw some piece of news related to it. Mm-hmm. He says, uh, this present juncture is much in our favor in our... Uh, object which is to let kelly and shawl mm-hmm. and it says this piece will be turning our rich naval officers ashore peace p-e-a-c-e yeah so what, what what's going on what's the context here uh i'm no history buff but i think it has to do with the war with france right now the napoleonic wars yes. have paused they are paused. yeah stopped for the moment so all the naval officers are coming back mm-hmm. and i think we've mentioned on this before like at that time in the British Navy, when you took enemy ships, you would be compensated basically for all the valuables that were on that ship. Yeah. And, you know, the ad- admirals, captains would get the majority of this money. So mm-hmm. 
there's a lot of naval officers coming back from this war who are all of a sudden a lot richer than they used to be, right? Yes. Uh-huh. And so if you are trying to lit out your big fancy house, this is a good opportunity for you, right? Yeah. I like that, you know, it's good for the nation, but more importantly, it's good for our interests because <laughs> right. rich naval officers will be coming ashore. And Mr. Shepard, ever the schemer, knows how this is going to help his current situation. <laughs> uh, he goes, they will be all wanting a home. Mm -hmm. Could not be a better time, Sir Walter, for having a choice of tenants, very responsible tenants. Many a noble fortune has been made during the war. If a rich admiral were to come in our way, Sir Walter, and then he gets cut off here. Uh -huh. He would be a very lucky man, Shepard, replied Sir Walter. <laughs> That's all I have to remark. A prize indeed would Kelly and Hall be to him, rather the greatest prize of all, let him have taken ever so many before. Hey, Shepard. <laughs> So, Shepard's like, you know, there's all these rich naval officers coming ashore, you know, uh, if he were to come in our way, maybe dot dot dot, Sir Walter would be like, and then he might, he'd be very lucky to yeah. have the chance to win <laughs> the greatest prize of all, no matter how many ships he took during the war, Kelly and Shaw would be the greatest prize, right? That would be the greatest plunder, I guess. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> hey, Shepard, I like that at the yeah, end. Yeah, hey. Basically, a, yeah. Am I right? <laughs> Mr. Shepard laughed, as he knew he must, at this wit, mm -hmm. and then added. So he gives the, you know, <clears throat> courtesy chuckle and then goes on with the real task at hand. <laughs> yeah, right. He says, I presume to observe, Sir Walter. This is also very interesting that Mr. Shepard is saying, like, Sir Walter every other sentence, mm -hmm. you know. Oh, and Sir Walter calls him <clears throat> Shepard. Yeah, a Shepard. I presume to observe, Sir Walter, that in the way of business, gentlemen of the Navy are well to deal with. I have had a little knowledge of their methods of doing business, and I am free to confess that they have very liberal notions, a.k.a. they're willing to spend, mm. and are as likely to make desirable tenants as any set of people one would meet with. Therefore, Sir Walter, what I would take leave to suggest is that if in consequence of any rumors getting abroad of your intention which must be contemplated as a possible thing, because we know how difficult it is to keep the actions and designs of one part of the world from the notice and curiosity of the other. Consequence has its tax. I, John Shepard, might conceal any family matters that I chose, for nobody would think it worth their while to observe me. But Sir Walter has eyes upon him, which it may be very difficult to elude. And therefore, thus, I must venture upon that it will not greatly surprise me if, with all our caution, some rumor of the truth should get abroad, in the, in the supposition of which, as I was going to observe, since applications will unquestionably follow, I should think any from our wealthy naval commanders particularly worth attending to, and beg leave to add that two hours will bring me over at any time to save you the trouble of replying. That is one long sentence. That Thank is one long that, roundabout yeah, sentence. Yeah circling the heart of the matter that uh, Mr. Shepard knows is a very delicate matter. So he has all of these modifiers. Right. Well, okay. So just to remind everyone, remember in the last chapter, Sir Walter, he is willing to let Kelly and Hall, but he will not advertise it. He does not want <laughs> any word of his willingness to rent out his house to get about. He, his ideal situation is someone will just spontaneously ask for the opportunity to rent it without ever, like, <laughs> any mention of there being any desire on Sir Walter's part. Right. So this is what that's in reference to. Mr. Shepard's basically like, 
if, despite all our caution to keep the idea that we're going to rent Killian Charles secret, if somehow it should get about, because, you know, with important people, think these things are always sort of discovered. Like, if I were renting my house, no one, if I, John Shepard, <laughs> were renting my house, no one would care, right? Right. But Sir Walter Elliot, like, that's going to get out. People are going to find that out, even despite our best efforts to keep it secret. Right. So if the word should get out that you want to rent Kelly and Hall, and if a naval officer should happen to be the person to want to rent it, then just call me over and I'll just settle it all, right? Yeah, two hours or bring me over at any time to save you the trouble of replying. Let me take care of it, if this should ever, if, if, a, if an admiral should ever come to you asking about Kelly and Hall, just send him my way. So do you think Mr. Shepard is really keeping this a secret? I think Mr. Shepard woke up that morning knew, knowing he had a plan to convince uh, Mr. Walter of doing something that Mr. Shepard has already planned out in his head. He's probably, it's already started. Yeah. <laughs> the gears to make this happen. No, he wasn't even reading that newspaper. It was just a prop. No. Uh -huh. He was so just hey. pretending that, yeah. <laughs> hey, you know. That it just crossed his mind, right? Yeah, yeah, peacetime will bring, you know, lots of rich naval officers our way. No, this was his plan this mm -hmm. morning coming to Kelly and Shaw. And I also like the mention of how he uses names. Like, this is a very funny uh, phrase he he says, I, John Shepard, might conceal any family matters that I choose, right? Mm -hmm. For nobody would think it worthwhile to observe me. But Sir Walter Elliot has eyes upon him. He knows how to, like, boost Sir Walter's ego. He's like me, lowly John Shepard. Like, I don't even have a title, right? <laughs> well, uh, it's, it's similar to, like, how we've discussed in, like, the first chapter. Sir Walter Elliot himself... He even, like, refers to himself as Sir Walter Elliot. Mm -hmm. So yeah. it's John Shepard... Smart, smart John Shepard knows to the best way to appeal to Sir Walter Elliot is to refer to him in the room as Sir Walter Elliot. Right, the the figure in society that is Sir <laughs> Walter Elliot. Okay, all right, let's keep going. Sir Walter only nodded, but soon afterward, riding, rising and pacing the room, he observed sarcastically, "There are few among the gentlemen of the navy, I imagine, who would not be surprised to find themselves in a house of this description." Hmm. Well, what's he saying? There are few among the gentlemen of the navy who would not be surprised to find themselves in the house in a house of this description. So, so there's a there's a couple double negatives here. Uh -huh. Basically, like anyone in what he's saying, anyone in the navy would be surprised to find themselves in such a grand setting, right? <laughs> yeah, such a coming from such a lowly position. Only a few people in the navy would not be surprised. To yeah. find themselves in Kelly and Hall, a.k.a. the vast majority of naval officers would be very surprised to find themselves in such a lavish house, right? Right, yeah. And then, they would look around them, no doubt, and bless their good fortune, said Mrs. Clay. For Mrs. Clay was present. <laughs> like uh, of course she was, yeah. Her father had driven her over. Nothing being of so much use to Mrs. Clay's health as a drive to Kelly and Kelly and she had uh, We can imagine. <laughs> It's just, that's the reason she's always at Kelly Inch, because it's great for her health, specifically the drive to Kelly Inch <laughs> Hall. But I quite agree with my father in thinking a sailor might be a very desirable tenant. I have known a good deal of the profession. <laughs> All right, let's let that slide. <laughs> let's not question that. And well, like she's saying, she's repeating what her dad said, because her father also said, I've like, I know what it's like to work with sailors. That's true. Uh -huh. But it is kind of different coming from Mrs. Clay. 
I have known a good deal of the profession. And besides their liberality, they are so neat and careful in all their ways. Mm -hmm. Why might a naval officer be neat and careful? Because he's on a ship and he's in the military. He's got to follow orders. Right, right. He's got to keep a tight ship, right? Right. Uh These valuable pictures of yours, Sir Walter, if you choose to leave them, would be perfectly safe. Like paintings, you know, like his art collection. Right. Yeah. Everything in and about the house would be taken such excellent care of. The gardens and shrubberies would be kept in almost as high order as they are now. Mm, Almost, right. You can't say they'll keep it just as well. Mm -mm. You need not be afraid, Miss Elliot. This is um, Elizabeth Elliot. Mm. Of your own sweet flower gardens being neglected. It's kind of funny how this scene is, like, unfolding. We're getting to see, like, the different characters who are all in this room. Yeah, like, if this were a movie playing, like, this is like, oh, Elizabeth's here, too. Or, sorry, no, oh, Mrs. Clay's here, too. Uh, And I guess Elizabeth's here, too. Yeah. It's just, like, the scene is getting bigger and bigger. And like you said, you know, Mrs. Clay is continuing the work that Mr. Shepard started. They're like a team here, you know. Mm-hmm. They're both like trying to control Sir Walter into the, the object, which is to let him, get him to rent to a naval officer, right? It is interesting, this parallel of like Sir Walter and his daughter, Elizabeth, sitting presumably across Mr. Shepard and his daughter, Mrs. Clay. Like, it's it's quite the father-daughter duo on both sides. But in this case, it's like Mr. Shepard and his daughter are, they are kind of trying to like pull the wool over Mr. Shepard, or sorry, Sir Walter's uh, eyes here. And it is kind of impropriatist for him to be like hanging out with his lawyer and his lawyer's like widowed daughter as if they are like equals. Meanwhile, Sir Walter is like worrying about like how a naval, you know, associating with a naval officer will reflect on him. Like, I don't know, he, he's just like, he doesn't quite see... The, the impropriety and, like, favoring, like, your employee as a, almost if they're, like, a family intimate, right? Right, right. Um, and I think we also see how Mrs. Clay is a, you know, J- Mr. Shepard's very skilled at cajoling Sir Walter, but M- Mrs. Clay is even more skilled at, like, he, saying these particular things that are going to boost his ego yeah. and, like, blind him to, like, the, the mechanisms at play, right? And she's also taking... Um, into consideration Elizabeth's opinion here because I think she knows like Sir Walter also values Elizabeth's opinion mm-hmm. so it's got that female to female dynamic that Mr. Shepard would not otherwise have right <laughs> okay but Sir Walter is not quite swayed yet because he says <laughs> as to all that rejoins Sir Walter coolly supposing I were induced to lit my house I have no means I've by no means made up my mind as to the privileges to be annexed to it I'm not particularly disposed to favor a tenant. Meaning, like, even if I did, even if I were convinced to rent the house, I don't know what I'm going to let the tenant do, right? Yeah, uh, talking about gardens and yeah, shrubberies. Yeah, yeah, I'm not sure. The, he says, the park would be open to him, of course, to my tenants, and few naval officers or men of any other description can have had such a range, right? Mm. Can have had such a park to go about on. But what restrictions I might impose on the use of the pleasure grounds is another thing. I am not fond of the idea of my shrubberies being always approachable. (laughs) And I should recommend Miss Elliot to be on her guard with respect to her flower garden. I am very little disposed to grant a tenant of Kelly and Hall any extraordinary favor, I assure you, be he a sailor or soldier. So Sir Walter's like, yes, maybe I'll rent it. See, he's getting even closer. Yeah, if I were induced to rent it. Of course, they'd be allowed to walk around the park, the lawn, right? Mm -hmm. And few naval officers could have had such a range in their life, which I just find kind of funny. I mean, obviously, he's referring to, like, a park, but, like, it makes it seem like 
I don't know, naval officers have been on the ocean, like the greatest range of all. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you're like, right. Yeah. The never, no naval officer will have seen such an expanse as my park. Right, right? such a vastness uh, yeah. as my park, my garden. But anyway, they, they'll be allowed to walk the park, but I'm not so sure about anything else, right? Yeah, and the actually... Yeah, go well, ahead. What? The pleasure grounds is another thing. <laughs> the pleasure grounds, mean yeah. like the gardens, I guess. Right? I guess so. And also, like, I actually would recommend Miss Elliot be on her guard with the flower garden. Uh -huh. Yeah, I'm not sure if we can trust just anyone <laughs> around these flowers, but I love this line. Uh, I'm not fond of the idea that my shrubbery should be always approachable. <laughs> <laughs> like, just no one can, not anyone can just touch my shrubberies, right? <laughs> okay. After a short pause, Mr. Shepard presumed to say, In all these cases, there are established usages which make everything plain and easy between landlord and tenant. Your interest, Sir Walter, is in pretty safe hands. Depend upon me for taking care that no tenant has more than his just rights. I venture to hint that Sir Walter Elliot cannot be half so jealous for his own as John Shepard will be for him. I think he's basically just saying, and here's more of the names. Yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. Sir Walter Elliot, lowly John Shepard, <laughs> right? Um, he's just saying, like, don't worry. Like, we'll hammer all that out in, like, the, the renter's agreement. Mm -hmm. Like, you don't even need to, like, worry your pretty little head about all of these, yeah. like, particulars. Yeah. I'll do Let it, me right? worry for uh, you. Yeah. yeah. You won't be half so jealous as I will be. Uh, oh, no, no. For his, for him, then I will be. Jealous meaning, like, what? Like, um... Like... I like the, like, protective, protective of yeah, Kelly and Chol, right. right? Yeah. Like, don't worry. I'm not going to let anyone, like, with common hands touch, like, your precious flower, your precious shrubberies, right? Right. Your, the, how you feel, how you, how protective you feel about Kelly and Chol is only half of mm -hmm. how I, how protective I, John Shepard, feel yeah. about your estate. Well, I, John Shepard, am alive. Your shrubberies will never be common and approachable. <laughs> Okay, and it says here Anne spoke. <laughs> so Anne has <laughs> been here the whole here. time, but yeah. not saying anything. Probably sitting in the back somewhere. Uh, and Anne says, The Navy, I think, who have done so much for us, have at least an equal claim with any other set of men for all the comforts and all the privileges which any home can give. Sailors work hard enough for their comforts, we must allow. We must all allow. We must all allow, yeah. So here Anne's piping up in defense of the Navy. For uh -huh. some reason, for some reason, Anne seems to be very defensive about military, or sorry, naval men. Yeah, well, it's, you know, it's fair enough to say that they have been fighting off Napoleon for a long time now. <laughs> yeah, and, fighting off that Frenchman. <laughs> uh -huh. That's like, in the note in your book, Grace, uh, it talks about how the British military was a big reason that Napoleon never invaded mm. the Isle of England, you know. Right, right. Um, and he was wreaking havoc all across Europe at that time. <laughs> so it's something to say, like, <laughs> they've protected us from Napoleon for this long, right? right? Like, they're uh, not just, you know, grubby little, not like grubby, like, like, I don't know, like, they don't have, like, I don't know, like, they're well within their rights to explore Sir Walter's shrubberies if uh, they chose to. And also, here's Anne, like, speaking in defense of the Navy, the one person who is, like, speaking in a way that is not, like, trying to pet Sir Walter's ego... Right, yeah. That's true. She's not saying, like, oh, you know, they're a worthy set of men. Of course not compared to you, Father. <laughs> you know, she doesn't feel the same need to mm -mm. to boost his ego like the shepherds do. All right, so anyway, she says this. And... Uh, very true, very true. What Miss Anne says is very true, was Mr. Shepherd's rejoinder. And, oh, certainly, was his daughter's. But Sir Walter's remark was soon afterwards. 
The profession has its utility, but I should be very sorry to see any friend of mine belonging to it. Indeed, was the reply, we can assume, from Mr. Shepard and... I think just like the general reply, but yes, particularly Mr. Shepard and Mrs. Clay, mm -hmm. right? Uh -huh. Yeah. And with a look of surprise. Right. <laughs> um, and then Sir Walter says, yes, the Navy is in two points offensive to me. I have two strong grounds of objection to it. First, as being the means of bringing persons of obscure birth into undue distinction and raising men to honors which their fathers and grandfathers never, never dreamt of. Okay. That's like the anti-American dream right there. It's like you should not be allowed to, like, you know, rise above the ranks of your forefathers. Yes. It's, it's seemingly ridiculous now, but it was not... I mean, Austin thinks it's ridiculous, and Sir Walter is ridiculous, but it was not an uncommonly held idea at that time <laughs> that people should not rise in the ranks. Like, everyone should be happy with, like, the class that you were born into, and you should not try to, like, make it to another class because that's, like... Undo. I, uh, it's offensive, you yeah. know? It's impropriatous. You should just be happy in the class you're born with. Mm. And especially a Sir Walter, who is so, like, vain and petty. Like, is he is not going to want anyone, like... Like, he's, like, the, you know, the baronet, the baronetcy is closed. Like, the, yeah, that book <laughs> the, is closed. the wealthy class is closed. Right. There should be no more additions to it, right? Well, yeah, because he both admired his own name for among, for joint, for being amongst the, like, uh, older family names in that book. But then, then he also had that, like, feeling of, like, superiority uh, looking at the newer names in the book. And God forbid, like, anyone should raise higher than Sir Walter, right? That's right, yeah. yeah. Well, that'll come up again later. Okay, alright, so number one, the Navy is offensive to me because it gives poor men the chance to, like, raise themselves up in the world, <laughs> right? Uh, okay. Um, and secondly, my second point of objection, as it cuts up a man's youth and vigor most horribly... A sailor grows old sooner than any other man. I've observed it all my life. A man is in great danger in the Navy of being insulted by the rise of one whose father, his father, might have disdained to speak to, and of becoming prematurely an object of disgust himself than in any other line. All right, here it is. This is, this is his two objections to the Navy. One, a man is in great danger in the Navy of being insulted. Is in greater danger. Greater danger in the Navy of being insulted by the rise of one whose father, his father might have disdained to speak to. This is just generally speaking. Yeah. A man in the Navy might have to be under, like, in a lower rank than a man whose father, this hypothetical person's father, might not have spoken to, right? Right, right, uh, yeah. Um, and number two is he is a man in the Navy is at a greater risk of becoming prematurely an object of disgust <laughs> than in any other line, any other profession, right? Mm -hmm. One day last spring in town, I was in company with two men, striking instances of what I am talking of. Lord St. Ives, whose father we all know to have been a country cur curate without bread to eat, like a poor priest, I was to give place to Lord St. Ives and a certain Admiral Baldwin, the most deplorable-looking personage you can imagine, his face the color of mahogany, rough and rugged to the last degree, all lines and wrinkles, nine gray hairs of a side, and nothing but a dab of powder at top. So, this, this is a... Uh, 
Sir Walter has examples yes, of these like, two instances yeah. that are offensive to him. Right. Uh-huh. Lord St. Ives, whose father we all know was a poor priest who barely had any bread to eat. Yeah, got and this man has been made a lord. Yeah, right. right. Uh-huh. Yeah, whose father actually he him like Sir Walter um would not have like deigned to even speak to. Right. So this like hypothetical description before that, he is just he's describing, he's describing himself. himself. Yeah. yeah, my father would not have spoken to Lord Saint Ives' father, uh, and now say Lord Saint Ives' father is a higher ranking than me. Well, now Lord Saint Ives is a lord. Yeah, right? exactly. Uh, <laughs> his father was dirt, and now <laughs> and somehow this man's been made a lord. That's very offensive to Sir Walter. Mm-hmm. Um, and then here's the second instance: this Admiral Baldwin, who's who... the truly like, according to Sir Walter, just the most deplorable person just like imagine. really you know he's like sunburned his face is all rugged yeah he's bald he's got only a little bit of hairs on the side and just like a little bit of powdered hair <laughs> on top okay so this is he sees these two men in london one season and sir walter says in the name of heavens who is that old fellow said i to a friend of mine who was standing near sir basil morley that's funny because he's a name dropper <laughs> it can't just be a friend it's got to be the a, a particular friend right. who's also a sir. Okay, so Sir Walter, in the name of heaven, who is that old fellow, said I, to a friend of mine who was standing near, Sir Basil Morley. Morley. Old fellow, cried Sir Basil, is, it is Admiral Baldwin. What do you take to be his age? Sixty, said I, or perhaps sixty-two. Forty, replied Sir Basil. Forty and no more. Picture to yourself my amazement. I shall not easily forget Admiral Baldwin. They truly sound like gossips, you know. Uh-huh. I kind of expect this from like I don't know, like gossiping ladies, not <laughs> like two sirs in like in you know high society. Uh, well, it makes me think of the Sir Basil from uh, Dorian Gray. Uh, these basically these just two fops who are like, <laughs> how did these like naval officers get into our party, and like why is that forty year old man look like he's sixty? Right. <laughs> Sir Walter continues. I, I love I love imagining how Sir Walter is describing this, like, whole little dialogue to everyone around him. Yeah, you know? he's recounting this, like, traumatic experience. He continues, I never saw quite so wretched an example of what a seafaring life can do, but to a degree, I know it is the same with them all. They're all knocked about and exposed to every climate, all sailors, that is, and every weather, till they are not fit to be seen. It is a pity... They are not knocked on the head at once before they reach Admiral Baldwin's age. This is supposed to be ridiculous. Yeah, he's supposed uh, to be. He's supposed to sound ridiculous here to us, to like you know sensible people. Sir Walter's basically like, it's too bad all naval officers don't die before they reach the age of forty because that that's just how ugly they become. Yeah, right? it would have been it would have been a mercy killing for them to die at forty rather or before they hit forty rather than look how how Admiral Baldwin looks now. Uh huh. So these are. This is why Sir Walter does not like naval officers. One, it gives poor men the chance to rise in the world. And two, it makes them pre- look prematurely old before their time, according to Sir Walter, at least. Yeah. And we know Sir Walter is the vainest man ever. Vanity is the beginning and end of his That's character. Right. <laughs> so, of course, this is going to be a, a something of material concern to Sir Walter. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's ridiculous. We're supposed to be laughing at him. Okay. Okay. Nay, Sir Walter, cried Mrs. Clay, this is being severe indeed. Have a little mercy on the poor men. We are, all not, we are not all born to be handsome. Mm-hmm. The sea is no beautifier, certainly. Sailors do grow old betimes. 
earlier. Yeah, yeah than they I have, should. Yeah. I've often observed. I've often observed it. How is she observing these sailors? Hey, she's been in the world. <laughs> Mrs. Clay has seen some things. They soon lose the look of youth. But then, is it not the same with many other professions? Perhaps most other? So now she's... For 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 reasons we'll we'll see later, and we ha- that we've already seen, Mrs. Clay is trying to put in a good word for naval officers and perhaps their um, how good they are as tenants. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, she's like you know, yes, it's true they do age before time, but isn't that the same with men of every profession, right? Yeah, soldiers mm-hmm. in active service are not at all better off, and even in the quieter professions, there is a toil and a labor of the mind, if not the body. Which seldom leaves a man's looks to the natural effect of time, in that like they age prematurely rather than how they would age naturally. Uh-huh. The lawyer plods, quite careworn. Let's <laughs> talk about her own dad, I guess. Yeah. The physician is up at all hours and traveling in all weather, and even the clergyman. She stopped a moment to consider what might do for the clergyman. And even the clergyman, you know, is obliged to go into infected rooms and expose his health and looks to all the injury of a poisonous atmosphere. So she came up with something. Uh, all even clergymen have to go visit the sick, which is going <laughs> to really hurt their, their looks, right? In fact, as I have been long convinced, though every profession is necessary and honorable in its turn, it is only the lot of those who are not obliged to follow any profession, who can live in a regular way in the country, choosing their own hours, following their own pursuits, and living in their own on their own property without the torment of trying for more, it is only their lot, I say, to hold the blessings of health and good appearance to the utmost. I ha- know no other set of men but what lose I know no other set of men but what lose something of their personableness when they cease to be quite young. Other, I know no other set of men other than people who do nothing all day long. Mm. Th- that don't lose their youth young, right? That don't look prematurely old before their time. Yeah, the only people who would not age prematurely are people like Sir Walter, essentially, is what she's saying. Sir Walter. Yeah. Who can live in a quote-unquote regular way, choosing (laughs) their own hours, following their pursuits, living on their own property. Mm -hmm. Basically, Sir Walter, rich people who do nothing all day long. Only they can preserve their good looks into old age. Yeah, only they hold the blessings of health and a good appearance. So this is all just, like, more. It's flattering Sir Walter's ego, but also following Mr. Shepard's plan. She's like, you know, I get it. Yes, it's true. Sailors do grow old before their time. But so it is with every profession, you know. You got lawyers, you got doctors, even clergymen. They all, as a result of their occupation, um, age prematurely, grow older. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, she's trying to sort of be like, well, you know, sailors aren't that bad. They're not that, they're not worse than, like, your... Your, you know, county, county sheriff, or not county sheriff, county um, uh, clergyman. Or... Yeah, right. So anyone who is not living on their own property, basically, anyone who is not like landed gentry like Sir Walter yeah. is going to be uglier than Sir Walter. So anyone you can rent your house to is going to be uglier than you, Sir Walter. So therefore, you know, give the naval officers a break, right? This speech might come across as offensive to modern audiences to like, almost like sounds like it could be accusing sir walter of being like a lazy rich man but sir walter relishes in being 
a rich man who doesn't do anything all day. Again, it was not a commonly unheld notion at the time that someone like Sir Walter should be living in idleness. Mm -hmm. Like, he should not be made to work, right? Right, right. <laughs> And if you were to ask Sir Walter why, it's so I, I can preserve my good looks, right? <laughs> I can preserve the Elliot name. Uh, yeah, exactly. With my good looks. Okay. It seemed as if Mr. Shepard, in this anxiety to speak Sir Walter's goodwill towards a naval officer as a tenant, had been gifted with foresight. Okay, so now that's the end of this scene. Yeah. Now we're, we're continuing forward. It says, it seems as if Mr. Shepard, in this anxiety to, to bespeak Sir Walter's goodwill towards a naval officer as a tenant, had been gifted with foresight. That's a joke. Uh-huh. He'd been gifted with foresight. Yeah. For the very first application for the house was from an Admiral Croft, with whom he shortly afterwards fell into company and attending the quarter sessions at Taunton. And indeed, he had received a hint from the ad of the Admiral from a London correspondent. Hmm. Okay, so sarcastically, it's like, well, Mr. Shepard must have had some foresight because the first offer that came in for to lit Kelly Inch was from a naval officer, right? The very topic that they were talking about when talking about what kind of person they would want to um, let Kelly Inch haul to. Mm -hmm. What a coincidence. Yes, and he receives this uh, application from an Admiral Croft, who he meets at the quarter sessions at Taunton. Do you want to give us a little insight into what they are? Uh, what, what the quarter session is? What is, it's like, what it's, is that? It's like a local meeting of, like, landlords mm. to, like, discuss various matters. And so Mr. Shepard would be at all of these as, like, a, you know, a local lawyer who's managing people's uh, property interests, right? Yeah, and he'd probably, you know, have a closer ear to the ground now that he is actually, like, actively looking for um, uh -huh. a tenant. Right, and so he's at this Taunton these quarter sessions, and that's where he meets Admiral Croft, who is probably there to find a place to rent. And lo and behold, Mr. Shepard did know that Admiral Croft was going to be there looking <laughs> for places to rent from this, like, London correspondent, like yeah. one of his business contacts in London. He had received a, received a hint of the Admiral. Uh -huh. So what is this all telling us? That it was all orchestrated. There was He does not obviously have foresight. Uh -huh. It was just... You know, we, now we know, like, if it wasn't, if we couldn't speculate, now it's almost confirmed that the whole, the whole talk about how great uh, naval officers are at being tenants, it was all just to build up to this um, predetermined admiral that Mr. Shepard found. I think the order, order of events are Mr. Shepard gets the correspondence from London, who he probably, he probably told this correspondent. Hey, I'm looking for someone to rent <laughs> Kelly Inch. Yeah. He gets the note saying Admiral Croft is coming to the area to look for a place to rent. He convinces Sir Walter that he should rent to a naval officer. And then Shepard goes and meets Admiral Croft and arranges right. this whole thing, right? Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, even the received a hint could also just be like his correspondent like he probably he maybe even like put out a huge like advertisement looking for um looking for a tenant, uh -huh. rather than, like, received a hint. It speaks to how, like, you know, sneaky, but also, like, effective Shepard is. Because he's probably, like, he has been given the challenge, I have to find a renter without advertising it, right? <laughs> so somehow yeah. he's able to, like, shadow advertise it without Sir Walter finding out. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, yeah, he meets Admiral Crofton at Taunton, and indeed he had received a hint of the Admiral from a London correspondent, a hint that the Admiral was coming. By the report which he hastened over to Kelly Inch to make, Admiral Croft was a native of Somersetshire, who, having acquired a very handsome fortune in the war, was wishing to settle in his own country. 
and had come down to Taunton in order to look at some advertised places in that immediate neighborhood, which, however, had not suited him. That, accidentally hearing, it was just as he had foretold, Mr. Shepard observed, Sir Walter's concerns could not be kept a secret, <laughs> that accidentally hearing of the possibility of Kelly Inch being lit, and understanding his, Mr. Shepard's, connection with the owner, Admiral Croft had induced Mr. Shepard himself... No, no, introduced. Had introduced himself to Mr. Shepard in order to make a particular inquiry, inquiries and had, in the course of a pretty long conference, expressed as strong an inclination for the place as man who knew it only by description could feel, and given Mr. Shepard, in his explicit account of himself, every proof of his being a most responsible and eligible tenant. Okay. Oof. So <laughs> okay, here's, yeah. like, yeah, this is just sort of like a, a summary of what went down yeah. in uh, Taunton. Right. So Shepard gets this offer from Croft, and he runs over to Kelly Inch to give the whole report of it, right? Mm -hmm. Croft is a native of Somersetshire, which is in that area, in the area of Kelly Inch. And he had gotten a handsome fortune in the war, and he wanted to settle down back in his own home country, right? So he had come to the quarter sessions at Taunton to look at some advertised places in that neighborhood, but those places hadn't suited him. Mm. And then, oh, this is according to Mr. Shepard, <laughs> somehow Croft accidentally heard that Sir Walter was planning on letting Kelly Inch. Right. Uh, we can imagine how that happened. Well, that is exactly how Sir Walter wanted it, was for someone to just stumble upon finding out that Kelly Inch Hall was being let. Mm -hmm. So it was accidentally hearing that Kelly Inch was going to be let. And here we have, yes, um, Mr. Shepard observed that. Sir Walter's concerns could not be kept a secret. Uh -huh. He's like, see, I'm right. Yeah. Like, you know, even just having the thought in your brain, people are going to find <laughs> out because you're such an important man. Exactly. Right? I mean, he's kind of in that in that way. It's actually genius because he is sort of covering his own ass in that way because he he had to do some advertising. Uh -huh. And the way he uh, covers his bases is to say, like, you know, this it, the secret's just too big. We can't possibly... We could do everything we, we can to keep it a secret, but it'll eventually be let out. A man of your stature, the public are, like, eager to know anything, <laughs> right? Nothing can be kept secret because people... The paparazzi are outside your house, <laughs> like, yeah. you know... Meanwhile, the modern... The, you know, equivalent to that time, whatever. Yeah, yeah. right. Meanwhile, Mr. Shepard's the one who called the paparazzi over. Right, so somehow, we can imagine, Admiral Croft accidentally heard that mm. Kelly Inch was intended to be lit. <laughs> and so then, according to Mr. Shepard, Admiral Croft introduced himself to Mr. Shepard and yeah. made inquiries after the place, right? <laughs> yeah. And not only made inquiries, but expressed a strong an inclination for renting Kelly Inch as someone who only knew it by description could feel. And basically, and given Mr. Shepard in his explicit account of himself, every proof of being a most responsible, eligible tenant, right? Great. Okay. And who is Admiral Croft with Sir Walter's cold, suspicious inquiry? <laughs> Mr. Shepard, what? Well, what is this question? It's not just, like, who is Admiral Croft. Yeah, it's sort of like, who does he think he is? Who is he to me, right? Yeah, who yeah. is he in the world, right? <laughs> What's he going to do for my reputation? Mr. Shepard answered for his being of a gentleman's family mm -hmm. and mentioned a place. And Anne, after the little pause which followed, added, He is Rear Admiral of the White. He was in the Trafal Trafalgar action and has been in the East Indies since. He has been stationed there, I believe, several years. Hmm. So, 
Sir Walter's like, who's Admiral Croft? And of course, Mr. Shepard gives an account of his family, right? Because that's what's going to matter to Sir Walter. Like, don't worry, he's from a gentleman's family, right? Mm -hmm. And here's the place that he comes from. And then Anna's like, well, beyond that, he's actually a war hero, too. Yeah, he's decorated. He's seen action. Uh Uh-huh. Trafalgar. Trafalgar? Trafalgar. Sorry, I'm not British. <laughs> but that is the Trafalgar Square mm-hmm. in England. It's named after the Lord Nelson battle. Mm. So he was part of this famous battle. Yeah. So he uh-huh. is by by many, like, um, accounts, like, an actual, like, impressive person. Right. A war hero. Yeah. And somehow Anne happens to have all this information <laughs> about him, that he, even where he's been stationed. Mm. We'll find that out later. Okay, so she says, where is this? Like, who he is? He was in Trafalgar. Trafalgar. Trafalgar, sorry. And he's stationed in the East Indies. And he's been living there for a while. Then I take it for granted, observes Sir Walter, that his face is about as orange as the cuffs and capes of my livery. Wow. That's the response. Uh... He's probably sunburned. God knows yeah. how. Here are all, here are all his, here's his whole military record. How, like, here's all of his, like, accomplishments... And all Sir Walter can think about is, well, he must be, he must be as orange as the cuffs and capes of my livery. <laughs> so I guess the Elliot livery is orange. I guess so. Uh-huh. And it, of course, it's like related to himself. You yeah, know. right. About what I think about sailors. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and his own, his uh, my own, own livery. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Mister Shepard hastened to assure him that Admiral Croft was a very hale, hearty, well-looking man, a little weather-beaten to be sure, but not much. And quite the gentleman in all his notions and behavior, not likely to make the smallest difficulty about terms, mm-hmm. only wanted a comfortable home and to get into it as soon as possible, knew he must pay for his convenience, knew what rent a fur- ready furnished house of that consequence might fetch, mm-hmm. should not have been surprised if Sir Walter had asked more, had asked, yeah, had asked more, had inquired about the manor, would be glad of the deputation, certainly, but made no great point of it. Said he sometimes took out a gun, but never killed. Quite the gentleman. Mm-hmm. What's the deputation? Um, the deputation. What is that? It's just it like a, would allow him to hunt the grounds. Oh yeah. You'd yeah. have to, he has to get special permission to hunt the grounds. Right. That's that's why it says he sometimes took a gun out, but never killed. Quite the gentleman. <laughs> so he's like. You know, yeah, I like to hunt, but I'm not really out there to, like, kill all the game on your land, right? right. I don't even, like, shoot the gun. He, I just like to walk around with it. <laughs> I just like to be out in nature. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, here's all of the credentials that Mr. Shepard lists. I like this hale, hearty, well-looking. You know, mm-hmm. it's not handsome. He's, like, a good-looking, good-looking for, like, an adventurer, basically, right. for an outdoorsy man. Maybe even, like... A little weather beaten, but not much. And uh-huh. All that. Maybe it's to even like um, coddle like Sir Walter's own vanity to make sure like this man wasn't more handsome than Sir Walter. You can't say, oh, he's a beautiful man. Sir Walter's not going to like that. <laughs> no. In the Navy? <laughs> <laughs> so he's like, yes, yes, you are right, Sir Walter. He is weather beaten, but not as much as one could be expected, right? Mm. And all of these things, he's not going to ask for much. He's willing mm. to pay. He's willing to pay is the big thing. <laughs> he's willing to pay. Um, and as to your uh, previous concern about the, you know, the pleasure grounds, he's yeah. not going to abuse his, 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 uh, place in, if he were to let Kelly and Chal. He would be glad to be allowed to hunt the grounds, but he's not going to make a big point of it. Right. right yeah. uh-huh. And if he did, was able to hunt, he's not going to, he, you know, he's not going to shoot a lot of your game or whatever. No, I guess when back to Pride and Prejudice, when Bingley 
let Netherfield maybe part of the part of the um, deal was that he would be allowed to hunt. I'm on, sure like, he's stats. he's gonna want to hunt those grounds, right? Yeah, a young man of his <laughs> fortune. The British landed class were crazy about hunting at that time, and still are. Uh, I don't know, actually. <laughs> okay, yeah, Mr. Shepherd was eloquent on the subject, pointing out all the circumstances of the admiral's family which made him peculiarly desirable as a tenant. Again, that's how you get to Sir Walter. It's like, look, you know, he's not as good as, you know, they're not the Elliots, but the Crofts are a family that, like, can be pointed to, right? Mm -hmm. Croft was a married man and without children, the very state to be wished for. <laughs> a house was never taken good care of, Mr. Shepard observed, without a lady. He did not know whether furniture might not be in danger of suffering as much where there was no lady as where there were many children. That's funny. Which is worse, having a house with no lady or having a house with children? <laughs> According to Mr. Shepard, it's having a house with no lady. Mm. A lady without, fam without a family was the very best preserver of furniture in the world. Great. So according to Mr. Croft... <laughs> the worst situation. Oh, no, according to Mr. Shepard. I'm sorry. According to Mr. Shepard, the worst situation for your furniture <laughs> in your rented house would be a bachelor, basically. Yeah. The middle situation is a uh, man and wife with children, but the very best preserver of your furniture is a childless man and wife, yes. right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Which is exactly what the Crofts are. Yeah. Just the situation to be looked for. <laughs> uh, okay. Shepard had seen Mrs. Croft, too. She was at Totten with the Admiral, and had been present almost all the time they were talking the matter over. This is a little bit of foreshadowing in just into uh, the Crofts relationship. Yeah. We're going to see how the Crofts are basically inseparable. They go everywhere together. And a very well-spoken, genteel, shrewd lady she seemed to be, continued Shepard. Asked more questions than the ha about the house and terms and taxes than the Admiral himself and seemed more conversant with business. And moreover, Sir Walter, I found she was not quite unconnected in this country, any more than her husband. That is to say, she is sister to a gentleman who did live amongst us once. She told me so herself. Sister to the gentleman who lived a few years back at Monkford. Bless me. What was his name? At this moment I cannot recollect his name, though I have heard it so lately. Penelope, my dear. Can you help me to the name of the gentleman who lived at Monkfort, Mrs. Croft's brother? So, so we have Penelope. That is Mrs. Clay's yeah. first name. <laughs> but Mrs. Clay was talking so eagerly with Miss Elliot, Miss Elizabeth Elliot, mm -hmm. that she did not hear the appeal. Penelope is not quite, uh, it is not a Mary or an Elizabeth type name. It's mm -hmm. a little, it's a little continental sounding to my opinion. <laughs> uh, yeah. It, it, again, like it also doesn't appear as as far as I can re recall in other Jane Austen novels. Yeah, it's so maybe a little lobo. Something of the adventurer. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. I've so yeah. Oh, he's yeah, like so, yeah yeah. Go ahead. So she did not hear the appeal, but then she also says, uh, "Oh no no wait." And then Sir Walter says, yeah, Sir Walter says, "I have no conception who you can mean, Shepherd. I remember no gentleman resident at Monkford since the time of old Governor Trent." And then uh, Mr. Shepherd goes, mm -hmm. bless me, another blessing, bless me, how very odd. I shall forget my own name soon, I suppose. A name that I am so well acquainted with, knew the gentleman so well by sight, seen him a hundred times, came to consult me once, I remember, about a trespass of one of his neighbors, farmer's man, breaking into his orchard, wall torn down, apples stolen, caught in the fact, and afterwards, contrary to my judgment, 
submitted to an amicable compromise. Very odd indeed. Okay, so he's trying, Shepard is trying to remember this name of Mrs. Croft's brother who lived in the area. And all he can remember is one time I helped him with this like dispute he had with a neighbor who was stealing his apples <laughs> and he didn't press charges even though I told him to. <laughs> okay. After waiting another moment, you mean Mr. Wentworth, I suppose, said Anne. Mm. So what, f- narrative, for the narrative, why, what is the reason that Mr. Shepard can't remember the name of Mrs. Croft's brother? For narrative purposes? Yeah. Well, because we want Anne to say it. I, I think so, yeah. right? We have to see that Anne is going to be the only one to remember right. this. Also, I guess it's like, in terms of like importance, the brother of the wife of the soon-to-be tenant is not the most important thing for Mr. Shepard in this moment. Right. Like, that's not, that piece of information isn't going to help him um, convince Sir Walter of anything. Uh-huh. But yeah, I think it, for the narrative, it's so that we can see that Anne is the only one who remembers this this curate right i also want to think i think this part is a little bit of like torture for Anne. (laughs) yeah right like mr like either like it's just so like offensive that no one can remember mr wentworth's name or like Anne has to like suffer through like like Anne would almost rather that mr shepherd just forgot about him and moved on with the conversation Uh, but mr shepherd insists on trying to remember this man's name and so Anne has to be the one to finally like you know, end the conversation. Uh, end her suffering. And we'll see soon why. Mm. Okay, yeah. After waiting a moment, you mean Mr. Wentworth, I suppose, said Anne. Mr. Shepherd was all gratitude. Wentworth was the very name. Mr. Wentworth was the very man. He had the curacy of Monkford, you know, Sir Walter, some time back, for two or three years. Came there about the year blank five, I take it. You remember him, I am sure. Fear. Obviously, 1805. I'm not sure why there's the blank here. I, I mean, know. there's the years have been enumerated elsewhere, <laughs> but whatever. Uh, okay. Sir Walter says, Wentworth? Oh, I, Mr. Wentworth, the curate of Monkford. You misled me by the term gentleman. I thought you were speaking of some man of property. Mr. Wentworth was nobody, I remember. Quite unconnected. Nothing to do with the Stafford family. Stratford. Stratford family. One wonders how the names of many of our nobility become so common. So this is like another note I have in my book, which is that the Strafford family was a real family, and they had the name Wentworth, and which of course would be in the baronetcy, and Mr. or sorry, Sir Walter is that much more offended now that, <laughs> I don't know, someone else can share the same name as a high-ranking family. Yeah, exactly. Sir, not only does Sir Walter not care about this Mr. Wentworth, he's like, he's a nobody. You yeah. know, you misled me by the term gentleman. <laughs> you know? Don't just, don't just right. throw that word around. Uh, <laughs> and it's, especially, he had no property. Mm. I think that's a big thing for Sir Walter and what makes a gentleman is you have to have property, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Even though he's about to lose his own. <laughs> Uh, okay, yeah, one wonders how the names of so many of our nobility become so common. So, like, how dare a commoner have the same name as a member of the nobility? And I think that's probably, like, a little bit of a joke. Like, like you know, the nobility, these nobles were probably commoners at one point also. Exactly, you yeah. Know. Well, he doesn't want to think about that. Yeah. As Mr. Shepard perceived that this connection of the crops did them no service with Sir Walter, he mentioned it no more returning with all his zeal to dwell on the circumstances more indisputably in their favor. The crops' the favor, crops, yeah. yeah. Their age and number, meaning no kids, mm-hmm. and fortune. The high idea they had formed of Kellynch Hall, I bet, and extreme solicitude for the advantage of renting it. 
making it appear as if they ranked, as if the Crofts ranked nothing beyond the happiness of being the tenants of Sir Walter Elliot. <laughs> that is the pinnacle of happiness for the Crofts. <laughs> Not to rent Kelly and Chal, but to be the tenants of Sir Walter <laughs> Elliot, right? This is what Mr. Shepard's saying. An extraordinary taste, certainly, could they have been supposed in the secret of Sir Walter's estimate of the dues of a tenant. What does this mean? Uh, what does it mean? An extraordinary taste, certainly, could they have been supposed in the secret of Sir Walter's estimate of the dues of a tenant. Well, what do you think? Well, like, they they are just every, uh, you know, every bit the perfect exemplar of what a perfect tenant is mm. to Sir Walter Elliot. Right. Somehow, <laughs> they, like, know exactly what Sir Walter wants from a tenant. The, they somehow fulfill everything that Sir Walter wants from the ideal tenant, almost as if, as if they knew what Sir Walter, the secret of what Sir Walter wanted from his tenants, right? Mm -hmm. That's how I kind of read it. Yeah, yeah. As whether, if, yeah, go ahead. Well, whether or not they actually are... I mean, whether or not how, how closely they actually resemble the perfect tenant is to Sir Walter's eyes is irrelevant right now. Because right now, Mr. Shepard is building them up to be, like, the perfect tenant for Kelly and Hall. Right. Yeah, it just so ha- Well, Mr. Shepard knows what what Sir Walter That's Elliot true, wants yeah. from a tenant. So he's, like, he's making these tenants out to be everything he could possibly want Sir Walter, or Sir Walter could possibly want, almost as if. They knew, like, these two, the Crofts know what Sir Walter wants from tenants, right? Mm -hmm. Which is just saying that, you know, it's all kind of, like, sarcastic. Like, Mr. Shepard is making them out to be perfect to Sir Walter's ideals. It's not that they actually just happen to want to be renters of Sir Walter Elliot more than anything in the world. Right, right. Yeah. And they just happen to have this, you know extraordinary taste that matches Sir Walter's. Uh, no, that's because of Mr. Shepard. Yeah. But, like, Sir Walter is, like, so dumb. He's so thick that he doesn't really understand that. He just thinks Mr. Shepard happened to accidentally stumble upon the perfect tenants, right? Right, right. How, what a, what a serendipitous meeting. <laughs> it succeeded, however. And though Sir Walter must ever look with an evil eye on one, anyone intending to inhabit that house and think them infinitely too well off in being permitted to rent it on the highest terms, he was talked into allowing Mr. Shepard to proceed in the in the treaty and mm -hmm. authorizing Mr. Shepard to wait on Admiral Croft, who still remained at Taunton, and fix the day for the house being seen. Right. I think this is really... So, Mr. Shepard succeeds in his point. Yeah. This, this whole chapter is Mr. Shepard... This is mis really the Mr. Shepard show, this chapter. Mm -hmm. It's one long stratagem on his point to convince Sir Walter to lit, rent Kelly Inch to the Crofts. Mm -hmm. And I think the big selling point really is, is they want, like, their highest priority in life is to be Sir Walter's tenants. I think that's what sells Sir Walter on the Crofts, right? Yeah, yeah. Even though he's always going to look with an evil eye on anyone intending, even intending to inhabit <laughs> his house, right? He will allow the Crofts because they're going to rent it on exactly the terms that he wants. Right. Sir Walter was not very wise, but still he had experience enough of the world to feel that a more unobject unobjectionable tenant in all essentials than Admiral Croft bid fair to be could hardly offer. Mm -hmm. So Mr. Walter, not very wise, meaning he's a dummy, but he understands that you're probably not going to find a better tenant than Admiral Croft, right? <laughs> yeah. 
So far, Wen has understanding, and his vanity supplied a little additional soothing in the admiral's situation in life, which was just high enough and not too high. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Like, that's... God forbid we, he found Mr. Shepard found a lord, you know? Oh, yeah, no. Sir Walter's not going to rent to someone higher than himself. Mm-hmm. I, Sir Walter, that is. Yeah, right, yeah, right, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Anyone higher than him, higher ranking than him, or more handsome than him. Right. So or, but no one too low, either, exactly. at the same time. The happy middle uh-huh. somewhere. <laughs> Um, and not too high. Yeah. He goes, I have let my house to Admiral Croft. Oh, sorry. Well, so, okay. It says, I have let my house to Admiral Croft. Would sound extremely well. Mm. Very much better than to a mere Mr. Blank. A Mr., save perhaps some half dozen in the nation, always needs a note of explanation. Meaning what? Like, who is this Mr.? Like, Mr. Yeah. can mean anything. Uh-huh. We have Mr. Shepard, you know? You know, Mr. Blank, who lives here, who does this. Like, Sir Walter doesn't want that. He wants, when he says, I'm renting my house to X, he wants someone to know exactly who that person is, mm-hmm. right? Which you get when you say Admiral X. Exactly, yeah. yeah. An Admiral speaks his own consequence. Mm-hmm. His his Everything you need to know about him is in his name. Right, and at the same time, it can never make a baronet look small. <laughs> Speaks his own consequence. Also, it's important sounding. Admiral, right? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. But not more important than baronet. Right. So, yeah. Like, Admiral will never come before Sir. And, but a Lord will come before Sir. So. Right. So, an Admiral is the perfect uh-huh. ranking for Sir Walter. In all their dealings and intercourse, Sir Walter Elliot must ever have the precedence. Well, there you go. Yeah. He must always be first in line to walk anywhere yeah really <laughs> that's what it comes down to yeah, yeah he's gonna open the dinner before the cross right um i also just like you know sir walter is like in a bad financial state like he really needs to rent his house if he's gonna like stay like solvent right uh-huh. but like his concerns are is like how is it gonna sound when i tell people who i'm renting my house to Right, that, that's one of the material concerns and who I'm going to rent to. Is it, It's got to sound like a good name. Someone who sounds of consequence, but at the same time is still going to be lower than me, right? Right. Yeah, well, that's his priorities, I guess. Uh, he just imagine like, he's imagining the dinner party that will come later on where he tells <laughs> people who he's renting his house to. Mm-hmm. Nothing could be done without without a reference to Elizabeth. But her inclination was growing so strong for a removal that she was happy to have it fixed and expedited by a tenant at hand. Mm-hmm. And not a word to suspend decision was uttered by her. Right. So she, as we understood in pre- previous chapters, she has at least, like, a little bit more of an understanding of how dire their situation is. She's not... and. So she's not going to say anything to slow down the process of paying off their debts. I also think it's fair to say that Elizabeth is probably ready for a change. Remember, we had all those descriptions of like, you know, the 10 revolving winters that have passed (laughs) where she's basically done nothing. You know, she lives the same exact life she did when she's 18. I'm sure she's ready to. Right. Where the most excited, most exciting part of her life was getting rejected by Mr. Elliot. (laughs) Right. I'm sure she's ready for a change of scenery. Okay. Mr. Shepard was completely empowered to act, and no sooner had such an end been reached than Anne, who had been a most attentive listener to the whole, left the room to seek the comfort of cool air for her flushed cheeks. And as she walked along a favorite grove, said with a gentle sigh, a few months more, and he, perhaps, may be walking here. Mm. So Anne, I don't think she said anything in this whole second scene that happens in this chapter. That's right, yeah. Oh, does she? Well, she 
pipes up about who the- oh she says who admiral croft is yeah, yeah. so this con- she does she says one thing but basically has been a, a silent observer of two yeah. conversations in this chapter right well no she um she says who mr wentworth is Oh yeah, that's yeah, right. That's uh-huh. her. She she pipes in to say, "Oh yeah, you're talking about Mr. Wentworth." She's just providing like information, uh, supplying no, no opinions. Yeah, nor is anyone asking for her opinion. Mr. Shepard and Mrs. Clay are probably singing Sir Walter's praises right now. What a great job he's done finding this tenant. Mm-hmm. And Anne is just slowly disappearing, like out of the room, and no one even sees her like right. leaving. And, and meanwhile, she's clearly in like some sort of inner turmoil something has affected her she's in some she is imagine there's some he connected with the crofts who will who might soon be at kelly inch mm. that is affecting Anne in such a way he perhaps may be walking mm. here so who is it who is it is it the mr wentworth mm, could be could be um well okay that's it yeah it was um this is a long chapter, but it actually went by pretty quick. Pretty straightforward. Yeah. It really. What is the thrust of this chapter? What are the What are the main takeaways? What happens here? Well, Kelly and Shaw has been let at last, <laughs> <laughs> and we found a tenant too. And we found a tenant, someone who is unobjectionable. Yeah, just uh-huh. the perfect amount of of um like prestige and reputation without overshadowing Sir Walter. Uh And Anne is, you know, she was in the background of this chapter, (laughs) but the end of this chapter especially signifies that she is slowly coming more to the forefront. Yeah. Like, we are... Yeah, go ahead. Well, yeah, this chapter, you know, by all standards, ends on a cliffhanger. Mm. Like, who is this he, you know? Why is... Why is Anne all of a sudden taking the foreground in this... in this novel? She has been in the background the whole time. And these, like, the fact that she knows these things about the Navy, that she's pro-Navy, she knows, like, the Croft, she remembers this Mr. Wentworth. It's all, like, hints that something, that she has some connections with the Crofts that we have not yet found out. Right, right. But we soon will. Uh-huh. Don't worry. In the next... I'm just going to say, in the next chapter, we'll find out exactly what the deal is oh, with yeah, Anne exactly. and her history, perhaps, with... The this is also Mr. Shepard's kind of swan song. He's going to like fade <laughs> into the background of the action a little bit more here. But this is, I feel like this is his show. He made this all happen. He's done his duty now. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, if you have any uh, questions, comments, concerns, um, you can email us at secondimpressionspod at gmail.com. All right. So until chapter four. I'm Tom. And I'm Grace. Bye.